Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, but I want to invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be continuing on in our sermon series, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. This morning, we are going to be looking at the first four verses of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus was sitting on the northern hillside of the slopes of the Sea of Galilee, the hill that sloped up from the Sea of Galilee, and as he sat down... There was a multitude of people who stood and listened to him. They were hanging on every word that he spoke. You can imagine them being able to hear the lapping of the water from the Sea of Galilee there on the shores as Jesus uh, gathered together and delivered what was probably the most amazing sermon to have ever been preached. Now, I, I don't think that this is the only time that this message was delivered. I think that Jesus, as he traveled around the region of Galilee and spoke to people about the kingdom of God and the nature of that kingdom, that he preached this message, or at least um, themes from this message, many, many times. In the beginning, he talks about the character of the kingdom people of God, the true disciples, The section that we call the Beatitudes. And then there is this extensive section where Jesus goes in and begins to correct some of the misunderstandings about the law of God. Where he says, you know, you've heard this was said, but I say this to you. And he talks about things like murder and adultery, telling the truth and how we should treat others. And he says, you know what, my kingdom is different than how things should operate in this world. And as my people, I want you to represent me everywhere that you go. As we saw last week at the end of chapter 5, Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect or complete or mature as your heavenly father is perfect. It is a high calling that we have been given, but we are are not left to figure this out on our own. The Spirit of the living God is at work in and through us, making us into what He wants us to be. That, that That He who started the good work has promised that He will carry it on to completion. Well, today, starting in chapter 6, we begin a section where Jesus is going to speak about spiritual practices and how we should perform them specifically he's going to talk about giving praying and fasting and over the next several weeks we are going to be looking together at each of these subjects where Jesus talks about the right way to give the right way to pray and the right way to fast before him now I do want us to consider this morning how Jesus begins in the first four verses of Matthew chapter 6 to warn and correct the misunderstandings that people had as it relates to this subject of how we give. Your Bible's open in front of you, and I want to begin reading there in verse 1 of chapter 6. Here's what it says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus begins here with this warning, and notice what he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
The assumption is that people would be practicing righteousness. And maybe as he comes to the end of chapter 5 and he has just talked about what God's righteous standard is, maybe he is now anticipating that people would hear this and hear him say this, read read what he had said, and would think, you know what? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't people really be impressed with me if I were actually able to live like that? And so now... Jesus addresses the the danger of cultivating the image of righteousness without focusing on the reality of righteousness. Because, friends, it's almost impossible to do spiritual things in front of people without thinking about or worrying about what their opinion of us is as we're doing those things. Let me give you an example. Every Sunday, I stand up here before you and I pray. I pray before the message. I pray after the message, sometimes I pray at some point other than that in the course of the service. But um, when I pray, I am not speaking to you. I, I, I'm, I know that you can hear what I'm saying, but my goal is not so much that I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to God here. And I realize that sometimes when pastors pray, they will uh, think about all the people who are sitting there and it's like they're trying to talk to the congregation. So they'll give the points of their sermon in the midst of their prayer or something like that. And yet I think that as we pray, what we should be doing is that we should be talking primarily to God, right? But, but I will say this, it's almost impossible for me to pray in front of you, even if I am praying to God, without having a small part of my mind and heart wondering, what are they thinking of me as I'm praying? Now, I, I realize that this may be a small part, and you can somewhat understand that to some degree, or e- even some of that could be acceptable, but it, but it better be a very small part, because... I should not be concerned with this idea of, do I sound spiritual enough as I'm praying in front of these people? Maybe I'd sound better if I used different phrases or something like that. If I start thinking like that, if I start becoming, if that starts becoming the motivation for my prayers, then suddenly I am not concerned about what God is is thinking or what what I'm doing before God, uh, whether I'm speaking to him, I'm concerned and consumed about my image in front of you. And friends, that is what Jesus is trying to address here, right here in this section uh, of the scriptures as he talks about giving and praying and fasting. So often, we want to do spiritual things just to cultivate an image instead of being concerned about the reality of our spiritual life. We live in a society that is obsessed with image. We, we live in a society that does not care about anything that is real, but only what is seen and perceived. That, that's why there is uh, so. That, that's why we're so concerned with things like social media and what everyone knows that we're doing, and uh, that we're having this great time, or at least a perceived great time. And because this is the air that we breathe, because if we were fish, we would say this is the water that we swim in, it is so easy for us to adopt the the idea of, well, you know what, I I don't actually have to be a disciple of Jesus as long as I look like I'm a disciple of Jesus, that's good enough. But Jesus says, no, you know what, I want to speak to you about what is at the heart of these practices here. Look again at what he says in verse 1. 
Behold, uh, beware rather, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, this phrase, practicing your righteousness, is a broad idea that could relate to a number of different areas of our spiritual lives. Serving people, praying, fasting, doing acts of kindness, or more specifically right here, he is talking about giving, money, financial help. That's what he's talking about here in these verses. And one of the things that you have to understand about the Jewish people in that day, and in ours as well, But in Jesus' day, the Jewish people understood that a righteous person gives. It was just ingrained in the very thought of the the day. As a matter of fact, the New Testament commentator, William Barclay, would say, to give alms and to be righteous were one in the same. remember hearing a story, and this isn't my story, but this is a story that I heard from someone else who made a trip to Israel, to Jerusalem, but... There was this guy, he went, was in Jerusalem, and there was a beggar who was out on the street. And as he was walking by this beggar, he, he said, I, I'm just going to politely refuse to give to this beggar. You know, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm not able to help you today. And, you know, it's something that we do around Chicago all the time, right? But uh, this man was going to just walk by and kind of keep right on going, and he was stopped in his very tracks by another man who was obviously a, an Orthodox Jew. This guy had the dress, the hat, the, the, the hair, all of that. It was obviously obvious that he was an Orthodox Jew. And, and I, I'm not sure if this Orthodox Jew, Jewish man was able to speak English or not, but he very clearly uh, communicated that he was angry and very annoyed at this guy who was about to pass by. And here's how he did it. Without even looking at the beggar. So the beggar is sitting over here. This man is sitting over there. And this guy pulls out this wad of bills from his pocket. And he just takes them, looking at the guy, and just stuffs them in the beggar's cup that's in front of him. And he looks at this guy with like fire in his eyes towards him. And the message in that moment was very clear, that this is what a righteous man does. Now, of course, he didn't seem to care one bit about this beggar personally. But the idea that he was trying to communicate is, this is what a righteous man does. A righteous man gives. And yet Jesus says, listen, how you give is very important. Again, I don't want to just pass over this point. Jesus assumed that his people would be givers. He did not tell them in this passage to give. That was just assumed. Jesus said, you know what? I'm assuming that you're going to be giving to people, but let me just tell you how you should give because how you give is very important to God. Listen, giving is an important thing to do before God because God is a giving God. Jesus is a giving Savior. God wants us to be like him. And if Jesus is our master, then he expects us as his disciples to be like him. And let me say something else about this point that it's assumed in the Bible that God's people will be givers. But honestly, I I don't think that this is something that many people understand, especially when they first become followers of Jesus. 
I'm not really sure why, but oftentimes when people first start following Jesus, they don't seem to understand that in order to represent him well, you need to be a person who is a giving person. Oftentimes people's bank accounts and their wallets are some of the last things that come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But God wants us to have that mentality. That it all belongs to him and that we should be a people who are a giving people. Now, in the midst of all of this, it is very important to understand that our giving should have the household of God as a priority. Our giving should have have the household of God as a priority. Let me just say this, and I, I, I don't know everything about the details of your personal giving. In fact, I don't really know anything about the details of your personal giving. I, as a, as a pastor of this church, that's not something that's shared with me. I stay out of the specifics of the finances like that. We have a finance committee that takes care of those things. But for from my general observation and just knowing the needs of people in this church that have been experienced over the years and just knowing how people from this church have been helped in our community or helped in uh, helped out our missionaries uh, around the world i believe that st paul's bible church is a very generous church And please don't think, well, that's just because we live in an area that there's lots of people who have lots of money. That's not necessarily true. I think that people sometimes wrongly assume that everybody who lives in Beverly, Morgan Park, Evergreen Park, Oak Lawn, in those areas, just is like fabulously wealthy. And we're all just kind of walking around with bags of of money on our backs, and that's just the life that we live. But that's not true, and you know that that's not true if you live here, right? That being said, there are resources that people in this church have, and I think that people um, that, that you're very generous as a people, and I want to just encourage you in that. Now, I, I know that there are lots of charitable organizations that you could give to, lots of worthy causes for the poor and the needy, lots of good works that could be done all over the world. And there are things that we should give our attention to as it relates to that. Resources that we should give to, give, take and, and use for those things if we're able. However, I just want to remind you here that for the believer, there should be a priority. And I'm not saying that this should be an exclusive focus. But there should be a priority of giving to the house of God. Let me give you just two passages here from the New Testament that speak about this very thought. The first one, Romans chapter 15, verses 26 and 27, Paul writes this. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Now, in other words, if you are if you've received some spiritual blessings from a particular place from a particular group of people, you have a duty before God to return materially to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 11, <clears throat> Paul says something very similar to that. He says this, If we have sown spiritual things among you, 
Is it too much if we reap material things from you? Again, it's just the same principle expressed in different words. And by the way, if you want a great section of scripture that teaches you about giving, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But Paul is just laying out this general principle here that for those who minister to you spiritually, it is right for them to receive materially. And that teaches us a principle that is addressed in other places in the word of God as well. That simply tells us that the house of God should be a priority in the giving of Christians. Now, I'll tell you how some people do this. Some people say, well, 10% of my income, or what you might refer to as a tithe, is going to go directly to the church. Now, God may lead me to give above and beyond that to the church, or God may lead me to give above and beyond that to other outside organizations. And, And sometimes people make this distinction between by referring to a tithe, the 10% that you give to the church, and then an offering, something that you give above and beyond that. That's how some people do this. I will say this, and I feel a little awkward by saying this, but I hope that this would be helpful to someone here today. It's been the practice of Sue and myself, all of our married lives together, to give 10% of our income to the house of God right here at St. Paul's Bible Church. And then, if God leads us to give more, we want to be obedient to that as well. And we have also encouraged our children to do the same thing. In fact, that's a big reason why we give our kids allowance and have over the last number of years Because we want them to develop a habit of giving along the way. And again, I I don't want to say this as kind of in a boastful way or anything like that. I just want to say this as an example of what this might look like for you. But in our family, I get paid once a month. I get paid in the middle of the month. And in our house, we call it Giving Sunday. It's the Sunday where each of us puts a tithe into the church offering. What we do is, uh, usually on the Saturday before, each of us goes and gets an envelope from the church, uh, something that looks kind of like the ones that are in the pew rack right in front of you, looks like this, and... And then on Sunday, we, we, when, it, when Sunday comes, while well, we fill out this envelope, we put our money inside, put our check inside, uh, seal it up. And then when Sunday comes, we uh, go to the offering plate that's in the back on the table in the back of the, of the sanctuary. Now, I, I know that some of you like doing online bill pay, and I like that as well. I mean, Sundays are busy for me, and I, I don't want to forget in any way, but... In our family, the way we do it is we like to physically put money, the, the offering into the plate because we just want to be in a habit of doing this and we want to experience the joy of this together. That, that's been the practice that we've had as a family over the years and God has blessed the faithful obedience as well. Now, Jesus continues on in verse 1. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. The idea is simply this. When you practice your righteous deeds for the attention and the applause of men, that attention and that applause is your reward. Isn't it much better to receive a reward from the Lord, though? Now, I know that this mentality does not belong to everybody, but some people would say, you know what? 
What's really important is that I am doing this deed. How I do it doesn't really matter. So, Pastor Jason, if I write a check, who really cares? Is it a really a big deal about how I go about doing that? If I write a check and, and I give it to the church, does it really matter if I kind of quietly fold it up and slip it into the offering plate? Or if I come in with this big publisher clearinghouse check and, and make this big presentation in front of you and in front of the church, I mean, does it really matter? Well, God says, yes, it does. Because when we call attention to ourselves in our giving, that is our reward. Do do people applaud you for your giving? Well, that's great. You've received your reward. But but there is a reward awaiting to the faithful giver from the, the Father in heaven if you will put your focus on that. But notice this. God cares how we do our good works and with what motive we do them. Let's look at the a wrong kind of giving here. Verse 2, it says this. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. When you are giving, don't sound a trumpet, he says. Now, I mean, can you just imagine this here? That you have these five trumpeteers and they're walking down the road with you and they're blowing their trumpets like do 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 do, and then you say, "Hey, here's here's the gift that I have to give." That would be loud. That would be obnoxious. That'd be a crazy way of doing things, right? Now we don't have any record of people actually doing that in Jesus' day. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Maybe Jesus is uh, making a humorous illustration here. Maybe he's referring to what some people would do at the feast times when they would come to Jerusalem and there would be lots of trumpets being sounded because of these feasts, and they would come and make these offering gifts. Uh, we, we don't know exactly, but the point is very clear. The point is simply this. If you're just trying to say to everybody else, hey, look at me, look at how generous I am, then uh, you're calling attention to yourself. You're calling attention to your giving, and that is your reward. Instead, we, we understand that if our giving is done by drawing attention to ourselves, it is done with the wrong, that's the wrong kind of giving. That's the wrong way to give. And again, I, I want to stress to you that it's not just about the money. It is about the heart. It is especially about the heart here. What does Jesus call people to do? Uh, what does he call people who do draw attention to themselves? Well, notice what it says there in verse 2. He says, as the hypocrites do. People like that are performers. They are actors. They're acting like they are pious, holy people when they're not. By the way, let me just help you understand a little bit what a hypocrite is. Because Jesus is going to speak about this again in the Sermon on the Mount. A hypocrite is not someone who has a standard that they don't live up to. A hypocrite is someone who has a double standard. A hypocrite is not someone who says, you know what, lying is wrong and I lied and so I'm sorry about that, I was wrong. That's not a hypocrite. That's just not being able to live up to the standard that's in front of you. A hypocrite says this, well, my lie was okay, but your lie is not okay. Your lie is wrong. 
That, that's someone who truly has a double standard. That, that needs to be exposed. Jesus says that when someone puts on the mask, when they have this kind of double standard, he says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Enjoy the, the applause because guess what? That's all you're going to get. We, we could give you a plaque that you could somehow put on the pew that you're sitting in here this morning for the donation that you have made. But if we did that, Jesus says, you know what, enjoy it because that's all you're getting. That's, that's your reward right there. Don't you want a higher reward? Don't you want a better reward than that? And the better reward is to simply give in the right way, to give the right way. Look at verses 3 and 4. Jesus says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What what does Jesus do? What what does he say to do? Uh, Look at that phrase again. Verse 3. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. If our giving is to be right before God, if it were possible, we should even hide it from ourselves. Now, I don't think that that means that somehow you should walk around like writing checks, closing your eyes or something like that. But what Jesus is telling us is that we should not have this spirit of self-congratulations. Like, look at how holy I am. I'm writing this check. In other words... You know what, we can do this for the applause of others, but we can do this for the applause of ourselves as well when we do this. Jesus says that we are to deny ourselves any sense of indulgent self-congratulations. Like what Charles Spurgeon would say about this, he says, Keep the thing so secret that you yourself are hardly aware that you are doing anything at all praiseworthy. Let God be present and you will have enough of an audience. And Jesus said that that should be our heart, that that our giving should be done in secret. Now, I know that this is something that has really bothered some Christians over the years. In fact, it's bothered some people so much that, that they've been so sensitive to this that they only give cash and they only give it anonymously. They, they don't have a name attached to it. Now, they, they, they don't want a giving record. They don't want anyone to know how much or who it was that gave it. And, and that's not my normal practice. Again, this is just speaking about the Kreider family and what we do here. But we write out our check or we put money in an envelope and we put our name on it. We put the amount that we are giving on that envelope. And the church keeps a record of our giving. And at the end of the year, we get a letter back that tells us how much we have given. And we use that giving record in order to reduce our income tax burden. You know, and you say, amen, praise the Lord for that, right? Because Jesus says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. But at the same time, I don't think that you want to give the, give the government more than what you should. And there is nothing wrong with using a legitimate way in order to reduce your tax burden. But I I, I don't think that giving like that is done in a way to be seen by people. Rather, it is being used as a tax advantage, which may or may not last in this country. But praise the Lord while it is still here. Now, 
The reason why I think Jesus is not saying that we are only giving, that that the only giving that pleases God is the kind of giving that is done in absolute secrecy is because of the one time in scripture that is recorded where Jesus actually sees someone give and he praises her for that. Uh, You might remember it. It's the story of the widow in the temple. What does she do? Well, she, she came in and she has these two small coins, the, the, the widow's mite. And in the most reckless act of generosity that has ever been recorded in the Bible, she takes these two tiny coins and she puts them into the temple treasury. Now, the reason why I say that this is the most reckless act of giving in the scriptures is because would anyone have ever blamed her if she had kept one of those coins and given the other? I mean, we would have been very impressed by that too. I mean, she's given half of everything that she had, but you know what? That wasn't enough for her. She gave everything that she had to the Lord. Now, Jesus did not say, well, you know what? I, I can't believe that this lady actually gave this gift in a way where I could see her do this. No, Jesus didn't say that. He, he, he sees her heart, and even though the people around her, the other people, they could not see her heart, uh, why she was giving. He saw the motive behind it. He saw her heart, and, was, and he saw that it was absolutely pure as she gave. And Jesus praised her motive, and not just the gift. Friends, isn't that what we all come back to here in this section? Does God care if you are a giver? Absolutely, yes, he does. But God doesn't care only about the gift. He cares about the motive behind it as well. If, you give, uh, if we give our own, for our own glory, it does not matter if anybody else finds out. Uh, God is not going to reward that. And, and I'm sure that there have been maybe situations in the history of the church where there have been people who have given with this motive of their own glory behind it, but yet for some reason, no one found out about it, no one knew about it, no one recognized it, and they were frustrated about that. But God still saw from heaven, and he says, no, 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 I saw the motive of your heart, and you have already received your reward. But if we give for the glory of God, it does not matter who finds out, our reward will remain because we gave with the right motive. It's about the heart, is what Jesus says here. As a matter of fact, look at the last phrase of verse 4. It's really quite thrilling. This is a promise from God. Jesus says, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Friends, that's a promise. Jesus says here that if we give in the right way, with the right motives, that God will reward us openly. First of all, notice here that God does see in secret. I don't see the giving records of our congregation, nor do I want to. But I know that God sees them. God sees everything that is done in secret, and he knows the motives behind it. And he promises that he will reward his people openly for their right giving. Their right giving. This should be like a spur to our generosity. Like, you know what? 
If I can give with the right motives that God will see and that God will bless. And I don't know how he's going to bless. Maybe he's going to bless financially. Maybe he's going to bless spiritually. Maybe he's going to bless relationally. Maybe he's going to bless in some other kind of area. That's up to him. But I just know that God will see and I know that God will reward. Friends, I I don't want you to miss the strength of this promise here. Your father who, is, who sees in secret will reward you. If we do things the right way before God, we can be sure that he will reward us. And we can be sure of that even if it doesn't feel like it. Because just like anything else in the Christian life, sometimes you might write a check and you say to yourself, well, I can't believe that I'm actually doing this. I mean, this is a lot of money. I, I, I I could do a lot of other things with this money. Sometimes there is this uncertainty and we're not really sure if it's worth it. But God asks us to trust in him and his promises once again and and, and to say, God, you know, I believe in you. I believe that when I give, and especially when I give in the right way, what I do in secret that you see and you yourself will reward that. So as we draw to a close here this morning, let me just end with this. I want to give you three uh, quick takeaways from these verses here this morning. First of all, and this might be the most important thing in the entire message today, but the kingdom of God is about reality and not image. The kingdom of God is about reality and not image. God cares about what we really are, and not just the image that we are projecting to the world. The reality is, is that our culture is perfectly fine if we have this thin Christian veneer over our corrupt lives. But God says, no, I want you to be real. I want you to be concerned, not just about your image, but I want you to be concerned about the reality behind that image. Number two, The kingdom of God is really about generosity. The kingdom of God is really about generosity. God rules and reigns over a generous kingdom. And if we are really Jesus' disciples, then that generosity will come out of our lives as well. And then number three, the kingdom of God is about God's glory and not ours. The kingdom of God is about God's glory and not ours. If I'm operating in the kingdom of God in a way that tries to bring attention and glory to myself instead of to God, then I have got things all backwards. I've got them all wrong because this is his kingdom. I I should have no interest in trying to build the kingdom of Jason Kreider. It should be the kingdom of God and his glory and his honor and his righteousness that is most important to me and most important to all of us. I think that if we remember those three things, that we are going to learn a lot about what Jesus teaches us here. That the kingdom of God is really, it's about reality and not about image. The kingdom of God is about generosity. And the kingdom of God is about God's glory and not our own. So let's pray and ask God to sink these truths down deep into our hearts. Would you join me in prayer?